is Book Recommendations and Reading Banter, hosted by Wilmington Memorial Librarians Charlotte Wood and Aaron Driscoll. We are broadcasting from the WCTV Community Television Studios in Wilmington, Massachusetts, and we want to thank WCTV for allowing us to use their facilities and equipment. Today's episode, titled Mother Earth in honor of Earth Day, for which the library extends the month of April with environmental programs, tree seedling giveaways, and a litter cleanup week, with all the news about climate change and severe weather, um, what better time now than now, really, to talk about Mother Earth? But before we begin our book recommendations, I do have one correction to make from the last podcast, and this is on me. I kept referring to the book by Golda Meir, her biography, as my story, and it's not my story. It's my life. I had it right by my bedside, but I wrote down my story, and it just kept, it propagated itself. But anyway, it's My Life by Golda Meir. Similar enough title. (laughs) Similar enough. I I think anyone that was interested would have found it. Anyway, I did want to make that correction. So the first book we're going to talk about today is titled A World on the Wing by Scott Widensall. It was published a year ago. And I first heard the author interviewed on NPR's Fresh Air podcast uh, while I was driving in my car. And I thought, you know, he'd be a great speaker for the library. So I mentioned it to Aaron, who reached out to him, and... And we hosted him. (laughs) Yes, uh, we had him for a uh, virtual webinar um, for his book, which was fascinating. Yeah, it was last (laughs) August, and it was Zoom. Yep, you mentioned virtual. Yep. And it's about... uh, His book is really about bird migration. It's it's quite fascinating. Yes, yeah. Um, He talks... It's just amazing some of the the feats that these tiny birds are are capable of Um, yes super athletes yes Yes. (laughs) they can fly for a week at a time without stopping without stopping to feed or to rest or to drink and they have found that these birds actually will sort of i'll call cannibalize themselves they will feed off their own muscle tissue uh, and they can recover but that, that's what they do. They've also found that the birds can put half their brain to sleep and then switch it off and put the other half to sleep while they're, they're flying. And uh, they, it's, it really is quite incredible what these, these, what these birds can do. And the other thing that, besides their um, athletic, uh, athleticism, I should say, yes. is uh, the author talks about the importance of uh, geographic locations around the world um, that are very important to the birds, such as the mudflats of the Yellow Sea, um, as being a place where the birds, several species of birds, actually millions of birds, uh, use that habitat to uh, for refueling because it's a very a very rich environment for them for feeding. But as we have found in other places around the world, right, Erin? Yes. What's happening there? Yeah, human development, and uh, these mudflats are really disappearing. Yeah, they're disappearing because of uh, they're reclaiming the land and building on them. But to the credit of the, of the, of the Chinese government, uh, once they were aware or became aware, they, they did, they have slowed development, and they are, they do have some protections in place, but the mudflats are extremely important for migration, as there are, uh, you know, other areas around the world. Um, but it's and it's not only where they stop over, but it's also where they they do go to, to migrate. You know, the habitats where they actually live, 
And what they have found over the, the, the past uh, couple of decades because of the improvements in technology using D, uh, GPS tracking, they've always used bird banding and they still do that, but now they can actually track birds with UPS, or not UPS, <laughs> G, <sorry>. <laughs> GPS tracking um, and using uh, Doppler radar uh, in tracking birds. They, they have a lot more data as to where the birds go, you know, how long it takes them. Uh, so that has been very important, too, to the understanding of birds and their their habitats. Yes, yeah. I hadn't heard of the um, being able to see these bird migrations on the Doppler radar, and he showed us in the presentation, and you can find it online um, pretty easily, and it's fascinating <laughs> to look at these these uh, huge migrations on the map. You have right. really no idea how many birds are flying overhead in the middle of the night. Right, um, a lot of it happens at night, right? Yes, we, yeah. When, we're, when we don't see it. Uh, the other thing that he mentioned is something called eBird, which is a project of the Cornell Lab uh, of Ornithology in New York. And it's really like a citizen science uh, site where anyone can upload data about uh, bird sightings. And so because of that, and you have millions of people all over the planet uploading data to eBird, uh, that's another source of information that they didn't have you know, a couple of decades ago. The one thing they do know for certain because of looking back at old records and analyzing is that North America has lost a third of its bird population since 1970. So we only have two-thirds of the birds that we used to have. But the hopeful note is because of the in increase in information about birds and, and, of course, awareness is that there will be protections to, to help the bird population going forward. So... Yeah, I liked, um, one of the things I, I quite liked about uh, Scott Winesall's presentation was he really offered some sort of action items that, that anyone can do that, that has a real impact. Um, for instance, he mentioned, which I had never realized, um, how destructive kind of growing coffee can be for, for bird, right. um, you know, bird populations. But you can buy bird-friendly coffee, uh, yes. which he recommends. Which I did for my daughter-in-law. Oh, yes. <laughs> October after I listened and read his book, I made sure I, I bought the bird coffee. Yes, yep. bird-friendly coffee. Um, and also uh, just purchasing uh, duck stamps is also um, goes towards, towards conservation and, and can be a big help. Right. So there are small things that people can do that may have a big impact. So, yeah, so that's our first book. And, Erin, I think we... I think, did you, what is your second book? My second book is uh, called Milltown, uh, Reckoning with What Remains uh, by Carrie Arsenault. Uh, Carrie Arsenault grew up in a rural town in, uh, in Maine called Mexico, Maine, um, where the main industry there uh, in the community was a paper mill. Um, you know, generations of her, her family had worked at this paper mill um, on the Androscoggin River. Uh, and... You know, it's it's come to light that really the, the river is dying and and the people in the in the town are dying um, of cancer rates that are they're high above the national average, um, including these like really rare cancers mm -hmm. um, that are likely linked to to pollutants uh, like dioxin, uh, which is a carcinogen mm -hmm. um, from the paper mill. Uh, it's. Her book's really interesting. It kind of weaves together uh, memoir and history of this mill town, um, but also like her own family and friends that, that grew up there. And it's also kind of part expose. Um, she really tries to dig into 
uh, you know, what the paper mill knew about these chemicals and, and, and the ways that it's been sort of, this information's been been kept or, or concealed from, from the community. Um, and she also talks a lot kind of about who this sort of environmental tragedy happens to. You know, it, it's a working class town. It, it doesn't have a lot of resources to to fight against big corporations. Um, it's it's very interesting. It, it really gets to the heart of, um, you know, we, we think of pollution in terms of of nature a lot, uh, mm-hmm. which it is. Like, you know, she does talk about the ways in which right. the environment around the town is dying, um, but it also gets to the human health impact. Right. which we know is it's unfortunate that that story is a story we've heard uh, even around the New England, I mean, it, here in Massachusetts, I know yes. that Maine, but, you know, in Woburn, with a civil action, a book was written probably over 20 years ago about the Woburn uh, chemical um, uh, that went into the water, and um, there was a cancer cluster there as well. So, yeah, unfortunately, it's not a uh, just a one-off story. It's it's something that is the United States is dealing with in s- several communities. Yes, yes. Right? Um, yeah. And just how frustrating and hard it is to, to prove these links yes, and to... It's very difficult um, to prove it. Yes. Yeah, but it, it's, it's a very powerful book, um, and that's Milltown by uh, Carrie Arsenault. Yeah. The other thing I'd like to mention is uh, Silent Spring is really, I would call it, the, I think it's the touchstone book for sort of, a, a, that was written for a general public and raising awareness of chemicals in our environment. And I think most people have heard of the book, uh, a Silent Spring by Rachel Carson, but I think probably a lot of people haven't read it. Uh, so I would encourage folks to to read that book. Uh, her, the impetus for her to write that book was a letter written in January of 1958 by her friend, Olga Owens Huckins, wrote a letter to the Boston Herald describing the death of birds around her property in Duxbury, Massachusetts, that resulted from the aerial spraying of DDT to kill mosquitoes. But it also resulted in the death of birds. And then Rachel Carson, who was a scientist, uh, began to you know, have an interest in, in the chemicals and the effect on the environment uh, and in nature. And hers was really the first book to begin to ring the, the bell of uh, you know, a- alarm uh, about the chemicals. And I think it also was the first to sort of awaken the general population to begin to question you know, all the chemicals that we were beginning to use post-World War II. So, yeah. Yes, yeah. Definitely a, a worthwhile read um, yeah. on Spring. Yeah, my second book is actually a fiction book. Um, I've noticed more and more the past couple years um, in my own reading, like, climate change topics and, and kind of anxieties around c- climate change uh, entering into to fiction books um, and not necessarily fiction books that are, you know, labeled kind of climate fiction. Um, and this is a, my book recommendation is what I would call like an eco thriller. Um, I love a thriller <laughs> <laughs> or, or horror as, as I've discussed on this podcast before. I think um, it can be a great way to sort of digest our own anxieties about, about the world around us. Um, it's called Once There Were Wolves uh, by Charlotte uh, McConaughey. Um, and it 
uh, follows Inti Flynn. Uh, she leads a team of biologists uh, working on a project to reintroduce gray wolves into the Scottish Highlands. Um, I had never really, I, I've heard of these kind of rewilding efforts in, in real life before, but I never really um, understood sort of the mechanism they're going for. It, the idea being that like wolves as apex predators kind of help the environment by um, essentially moving other air, other mm-hmm. animals around. You know, you'll have these deer herds that will completely decimate uh, all the sort of nutritious plants and things like that if they're they're left to just their own devices. But if you introduce wolves, they're really kind of made to be on the move and, and they, you know, move through the, the habitat much more um, effectively, much less destructively. Um, it can really help these local places like spring back um so anyway she's working on that project in the scottish highlands uh but many of the locals there are sheep farmers and are very against (laughs) this idea of of introducing wolves um into their their home Mm -hmm. um they don't want to lose their animals they're you know frightened of wolves wolves are very big they're very scary if you're (laughs) if you're sorry you know um from a certain view uh and so they're very worried about it and things kind of come to a head where um, one of the most outspoken locals turns up dead uh it is a thriller (laughs) um and it's it's unclear if he was murdered or killed by one of the wolves or or mauled mauled yes murder (laughs) or mauled is the the central question yes (laughs) um there is a lot going on in this book. It, it delves into a lot of areas of like psychology and trauma, um, but I, I found it to be very effective at kind of weaving together these climate concerns and like elements of a thriller. It 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 doesn't feel shoehorned in there. It feels like a very uh, natural melding, um, and it is a very suspenseful book. I I whipped right through it, um, and that's Once There Were Wolves by uh, Charlotte McConaughey. Yeah, I'm just going to mention a book that I hadn't been planning on mentioning, but it's called The Lowering Days, L-O-W-E-R-I-N-G, Lowering Days, by Gregory Brown. And going back to the Milltown book that yes. you mentioned, uh, this book is also a book of fiction because the one you just mentioned is as well. Uh, and it centers on a, a paper mill that was going to be rebuilt uh, uh, and a Native American community and then a local community. And the effect of that paper mill um on the environment there and not and not wishing to have it rebuilt and there's an incident that happens I won't go into all of this but it's also about just relationships in the community but again a little bit of that um, it's, it's not climate change but it is the pollution of the paper mill and a book of fiction that uh, you know people may enjoy reading it has that element in it so yes. Lowering Days by Gregory Brown yes and I think all of these books kind of um it's interesting how sort of economic factors and environmental factors sort of yeah, weave into these absolutely. books. Absolutely. This was the environmental and also the um, economic because the mill provided jobs. And it is set in Maine, way up uh, in uh, northern Maine. So, again, it, the, the tie-in to your other book. Yes, there. yes. So another book that I would like to mention is called Earth, E A. A-R-T-H, try to say that, E-A-A-R-T-H, Earth, by Bill McKibben. It was written in 2011, uh, uh, so it's slightly older, uh, but 
his ba- it's worth reading, but his premise then, now this is a decade later, is that our Earth, E-A-R-T-H, our Earth, is already altered, and that's why he changed the spelling of Earth. And it's a different place today than it was fi- now 50 years ago. He would have said 40 um, than, it was, than, than it was. And it's not going to go back to, to what it was. So we have to learn to live with the Earth as it is today, with it, it, it being changed. And he, uh, of course, goes into why. You know, the burning fossil fuels raise the temperature of the Earth. That, in turn, has altered the weather. We have larger storms, more lightning strikes, more wildfires, hotter temperatures, melting glaciers, and it's too late to go back to normal. Now, it's not all doomsday because, you know, there are things we can do to begin to live with the Earth as it is today. And some of the biggest takeaways, of course, are to think about the economic growth, which has always been more and more and more, and it was global. But that required shipping and getting a cheap TV from, you know, Korea, which was, you know, know, cargo ships and it's fossil fuels. So becoming a little more local in our economy and getting away from agribusiness and becoming more local in our agriculture. Uh, But there's a lot more to the book than that. But I do want to mention Earth. It's a a well-known book by Bill McKibben written almost, uh, well, 11 years ago now. So anyway. That's, it's a worthwhile read. Nice. Kind of puts things in perspective as to what's happened to the earth. Yes, yes. My uh, last book recommendation um, is Islands of Abandonment by Cal Flynn. I chose this one to go last because it is, well, all of the books we talked about today are very um, important books about important topics. This one, I would say, has a little um, hope to it, yeah, <laughs> a little yeah. uh, more uh, you know, um, an up, up, up upbeat seems like a strong mm-hmm. word, <laughs> but uh, uh, an interesting <laughs> outlook. Yeah, on recovery. Um, Cal Flynn is an investigative journalist. Um, she v- visited all these, like about a dozen locations, um, that have been abandoned by people, um, such as you know, a famous example being. Uh, Chernobyl mm-hmm. um, and but also like little kind of abandoned fishing villages on the Scottish coast she went she went just to all these places that you know used to be um, kind of inhabited inhabited yeah, right. yeah and that people for one reason or another um, usually an environmental disaster of some right. kind have left almost entirely um, there might be some people there but mm-hmm. largely have abandoned and um, she kind of goes there to examine the ways that nature has started to kind of recover um, in our absence. <laughs> uh, it's really interesting. I don't think I could ever be as brave <laughs> as Cal <laughs> Flynn um, staying in these like little abandoned like houses overnight and stuff on like just now no I'd way. Th- I'd be thinking of the mice, I think. <laughs> yes, yes. Creatures do come back. <laughs> yes, yes, there are creatures. And um, I think I would be like, I could never feel like, am I truly alone? I don't know. It sounds like a horror movie set up to me. <laughs> but uh, she's much braver. And um, just it's it's a fascinating book. There's also just something I think very intriguing and kind of beautiful about these sort mm-hmm. of like human ruins that have been right. um you know, started to be kind of reclaimed by nature. Um, and yeah, she, you know, there's, 
she doesn't let us off the hook. You know, she right. does talk about, you know, some of the irreparable damage that, that humans have caused in these areas. But it is also amazing the ways that some of these animals, like um, the Chernobyl yes. wolves and um, I think bears have been right. seen there for the first time in a while. Um, in Although, obviously, this book was written uh, prior to recent events yes um but nature does have a way of coming back doesn't yes it? yes and um like rare plant species that are are thriving in these you know otherwise kind of chemically damaged places. where humans couldn't yes right. yeah so it's it's a fascinating book um and i should mention that both islands of abandonment by cal flynn and uh, milltown by carrie arsenal um we had those authors for virtual author talks mm-hmm. that were recorded and that are available on our Facebook page through the library and also the library's YouTube channel. Right, um, under, so re- under recorded events, yes. under our events page. And the one thing I would like to mention is that many of the books that I have talked about, I've double-checked, are available, of course, they're available in print, um, but they're also available digitally. Uh, we, our library offers a service called Hoopla, where books are available simultaneously. So if Aaron wanted to read it, I could read it. There's not, it's not one person, one copy. It's just simultaneous use. So, uh, and a lot of them are available in ebook and also in audiobook on Hoopla. They're also available uh, probably on Overdrive, which is our other ebook vendor. It operates more like a traditional library, one book, you know, one, one checkout. Uh, but you could look there as well, and Overdrive uses the Libby app. But I do want to give a shout-out to some of our digital um, offerings for, from the library. The only, only other thing I'd like to mention is we also offer a service called Canopy. Uh, it's um, movie streaming, a lot of DVDs, and I just put in the word climate, and then I put in the most recent, and I wanted to mention that there, uh, there's a, a, a lot there offered, but just going to mention a couple. The Future of Birds, Conserving Ecosystems and Economies. It's 41 Minutes. It's 2019, uh, available from Green Planet Films. And also uh, a DVD called Do the Math by Bill McKibben and the Fight Over Climate Change. It's 51 Minutes. This was a 2013. I'm sure it's kind of a follow-up and probably tells a lot of the same material that he mentions in Earth. But it's called Do the Math by Bill McKibben, and both of those are available on Canopy from the library's website. Excellent. Um, we should also mention that, you know, this podcast will be originally available in April uh, 2022. But yes. so if you were listening after that month, um, some of this might be a little out of date, but we do have a lot of great um, Earth Day, Earth Month uh, related right. programming right. coming up in April, um, such as a chance to help us uh Beautify Wilmington. Yes, right. Um, during the month, of, or during the month, during the week of April 18th to the 23rd, that's Earth Day week. Uh, we're encouraging uh, townspeople to pick up litter around town, and we're, we all have bags and gloves available for you. Yes, and yeah. prizes. And prizes <laughs> on that Saturday, the 23rd. You can <laughs> stop by from 10 to 12 and spin the raffle wheel and get an Earth friendly prize. And our friends at the library is hosting a used jewelry sale on. Friday, August 8th from 5 to 8 p.m. And Saturday, August, uh, uh, April. August, <laughs> April, excuse me, I'm going to the 8th. April 8th, Friday, April 8th from 5 to 8 p.m. And April 
9th from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the library. And we have a used puzzle palooza that Saturday as well. Come and pick up some used puzzles to take home. Yes, yes. Don't so forget the, the reuse of the reduce, reuse, <laughs> recycle. <laughs> we also are going to be giving away tree seedlings that Earth, Earth Day week. And we have some other programs. Please check our website for our other Earth, Earth Day friendly programs yes. during the month of April. Yes. And uh, happy reading. <laughs> yes. And thank you again for listening. And uh, be sure to tune in. Uh